I'm Alan Slade. I'm one of the ruling elders here at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, and I want to repeat campers' welcome, um, a special welcome to visitors, and a special welcome to our, our, our students returning and, and freshmen. Um, as, as some of you know, we have a, I think it's above average, we have a, a relatively large family. We have eight sons, and um, as a result, as a family, we're really not able to take vacations. Oh, we go places, but we take trips. <laughs> and we rest up when we get home. Um, and, and travel really is full of challenges, whether you, you travel with a large group like our family or, or, or travel by yourself. Uh, medical emergencies, mechanical mishaps, traffic snarls, uh, anxiety, stress, you know, it's all part of travel. But let's be honest, in the 21st century, we typically travel in air-conditioned comfort, favorite music on the iPod, and that reassuring GPS voice that says, recalculating whenever we get off the beaten path. What I'd like us to do today is to look at Psalm 121, which is on page 516 of your, your pew Bible. Um, and uh, let's consider a more trying trip, walking for days from some outlying village or town to Jerusalem in 600 BC, let's say. The dangers were graver, the material security was less, and while there were no iPods, there was some pretty good music. Um, Psalm 121, was sung by pilgrims as they traveled to Jerusalem for the holy festival, such as, as Passover. So uh, let's look at, at Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear God, please open our, our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts to hear your word and to apply it to our lives. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So uh, this is a psalm of ascents. It's part of the, uh, the hymn book, starting with Psalm 120, that um, pilgrims did sing as they traveled to Jerusalem. Um, this is a, a traveling song for the people of Israel, and I believe it's a traveling song, if we, if we use it, uh, for us. And I want to look at three things. I want to look at the stress of the trip. I want to look at the Savior for the trip. And I want to look at the strategy of the trip. Let's start with the, uh, the stress of the trip. 
Verse 3 says, he will not let your foot be moved. I think what the psalmist is referring to here is the rocky path that that the travelers would be on. Um, Sandy soil, rocks, all sorts of things. Very easy to, to trip, sprain your ankle, potentially even break your leg. Um, Of course, a sprained ankle would be just one type of injury a pilgrim could face. Um, They could be robbed by bandits, they could be attacked by wild animals, they could be caught in a rock slide, they could simply throw out their back from the load they had to carry as they they traveled to Jerusalem. Um, These injuries are a a real part of of the stress of travel. Maybe less so for us today, but, but still uh, a potential, potential uh, threat, a potential stress to us. Uh, verses 5 and 6 talk about the potential physical stress of the journey. Um, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand so that the sun will not strike you by day. Uh, Israel is a, is a hot, arid land. The um, oppressive sun and heat could lead to dehydration to fatigue, to sunstroke, uh, or just plain old being hot and uncomfortable. And so traveling is, is physically stressful. But besides potential injury and physical stress, there's a, a level of emotional stress in, in traveling. Verse 6 uh, goes on and says, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And I think uh, this is a reference to the emotional stress of travel. Uh, even in English, we, we refer to uh, mental disorders sometimes as lunacy. This idea that probably doesn't have any scientific basis, that moonlight is somehow related to emotional distress. Um, the emotional stresses of traveling are very real. We have uncertainty and lack of control. Whenever we leave the comforts of home, and, uh, and, and that uncertainty and lack of control can lead to impatience, to fear, even to anger with the people who are traveling with us. Uh, Unfamiliar food, climate, and culture can lead to discomfort or even to disgust as we're traveling. So, pretty wide umbrella here, injury, physical stress, emotional stress, Uh, lots of bad things can happen on our trip. Uh, In 2002, Our family traveled from Redmond, Washington, where I was working at the time, to Newport News and back. We went 7,500 miles in the Brown Ford van, which is still in the parking lot here. We had seven and a half children in the car with us. Mary was expecting Jacob. He was born about two months after we got back from the trip. On the uh, outbound eastern leg, we stopped to visit some friends in Detroit, and they met us at the front door of their house and said, don't come in, we have chicken pox. And, and Mary and I said, uh, the kids have got to catch chicken pox sometime anyway, so we ended up staying with them. <laughs> Couple weeks later on the return trip, we're heading west through the, the southern tier of the US, and uh, we stop in Arizona uh, to see the Grand Canyon. And um, uh, we, I believe, spread smallpox <laughs> to people, f- not smallpox, excuse me, chickenpox. <laughs> excuse me, no, no, we didn't do smallpox. But we spread chickenpox to people from all over America. There's a very nice German couple on the bus. We're pretty sure we started an epidemic in Germany and, and potentially the rest of the world. 
leaving the Grand Canyon, we, um, we, we pulled out of Grand Canyon National Park and we're heading north on some desert road, two lane, you know, middle of nowhere, nothing around us. And uh, in my rearview mirror, I see a car barreling along to catch up with us. And when they get behind us, they start blowing their horn. And so all the images of the, you know, the horror movies and the, you know, the family in the desert and all that you know, come to mind. And it's like, there's no way I'm going to stop for this car. So then they pull out into the, the left lane, pull up alongside us, roll the window down, and start waving and pointing. And so since I'm surrounded by 5,000 pounds of steel and gasoline, I decide I can roll the window down. And they say, you have a flat tire. So we, we pull over, and sure enough, the left rear tire's flat. There's an unknown number of miles to the next bit of civilization, so we decide to turn around and go back to the, the park, to the last gas station there, and we pull in, and of course, they don't do mechanical repairs. They have no tires, but for a generous tip, they're willing to let us unload all the luggage so they can get the tire out and change the tire. So now we drive approximately 100 miles, once again through the desert, with no spare tire now, and uh, we get to some town in the middle of nowhere where they actually have a tire store, and, and you know, once again, you know, go through all the rigmarole, get the tire changed. At 5 p.m., we're now ready to travel to Salt Lake City, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles away. We have taken eight hours to go 100 miles, and the kids still have the chicken pox. So my vision of seeing the Great Salt Lake was fulfilled, I think. After midnight, there was a large flat black area to the left of the freeway. And we sort of waved at it and went on to our hotel. Um, so that's the uh, potential uh, uh, stress of, of a trip. Uh, clearly, no vacation. So. Can't we just avoid this? Can't we just stay at home? I mean, why, why do we have to go places? I, I did ask myself that question at the end of that trip. Um, well, for the, the pilgrim in 600 BC traveling to Jerusalem, they were actually following a pattern that was set by Abram in Genesis 12, when God says to Abram, leave your home and go to the land I will show you. And Abram was a pilgrim for the rest of his life, continued to move around to basically live out of a tent for the rest of his life. Um, Jacob and his family, the descendants of Abraham, traveled from the promised land to Egypt to avoid a famine. And under God's providence, they were, they were protected and, 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 uh, and moved to a place of safety. Uh, 400 years later, Moses led the people out of Israel to escape from slavery. And then they wandered around for 40 years in the desert on, on the way to the Promised Land. So for the pilgrim going from that little village to Jerusalem, to the city of God, for the Passover festival or whatever, whatever religious festival it was, they saw this as, as simply fitting into the pattern of, of the way God called his people to him, to the promised land, to the city of God, to the place where God would meet them. And this is our pattern also. We walk in Christ. We walk a long way to be in God's presence. Now, we don't walk to earn our salvation. Our salvation is a gift. 
but we walk to serve God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Later in Ephesians, Paul says, I, Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Uh, last week, a camper in the adult Sunday school class was, uh, was teaching on the, the phrase in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. And Camper drew a very important distinction between a trial and a temptation. A trial refines and reveals our character. A temptation leads us into sin. The stresses of a trip, injury, physical stress, emotional duress, are trials that can refine and reveal our character. However, our reaction to those stresses can turn into sin. We can be tempted uh, by our, our, our reaction to do, think, say the wrong thing. And to save us from that sin, to save us from the stresses of the trip turning into temptation, we need a savior. And Psalm 121 talks about our savior, but talks about other saviors as well. So let's look at false saviors first. Um, verse one says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? And I know for me, and probably for many of you as well, uh, I tend to look at, at mountains and see majesty, see grandeur, um, see God's hand in, in the created order. For the pilgrims of Israel, that may not have been the way they looked at the hills. Uh, first of all, uh, the hills were a, a potential threat. Bandits or wild animals could attack from the high ground. They could come rolling down the hill like a freight train to, to attack the pilgrims. And so when they looked up to the hills, they probably weren't thinking Purple Mountain's majesty. They were thinking, whoa, what's, what's, what's up there? What's behind that boulder? But the hills weren't just a physical threat. They were also a spiritual threat. The hills were the location of altars to false gods. The hills may have offered a temptation to react to the stresses of the trip to pray to the false gods. And so the people of Israel might have said, hey, why don't we, why don't we set up camp a little early today? And not all of us, of course, not all of us, but we'll just send one or two, maybe three people up the hill and they'll pray to this God. Now, no, we still love the Lord our God, but we are traveling through the land of Baal. Let's just get a little spiritual insurance, you know, a small sacrifice, couple of prayers, maybe a tip to the priest there, just, just to help us through this portion of our trip. In many ways, the idols in the hills were more present, more real than Jerusalem, where the pilgrims were heading. There's such an irony in committing idolatry on the way to Jerusalem, 
on the way to the city of God, on the way to participate in the Passover or some other holy festival. Satan clearly has an evil sense of humor. But let's be careful that we don't look down on the people of Israel. Let's be careful that we don't distance ourselves because we are subject to exactly the same temptation. As we travel on our journey, as we travel to fulfill our calling, we can be tempted to pick up a little bit of spiritual insurance. The temptation of just in case, or I would feel better if I had some real concrete material assurance that the next couple hours and days and weeks and months will go well for me is a real temptation. Now, probably you and I are not attracted to pray to a, a, an idol made of stone or wood covered by hammered gold. We probably don't have the idea of sacrificing a pigeon to you know, some, some god named Baal, um, but we do have the temptation to trust in concrete material things, to trust in our retirement savings, our job security, our health insurance, the, the benefit of the relationships we have. Now, God hates idolatry. He has a special hatred for the high places of Israel. The um, prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and the great confrontation between, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal um, uh, notices that Baal's not showing up and uh, he says um, uh, to the prophets of Baal, uh, perhaps Baal is asleep and must be awakened. Uh, per perhaps your God just isn't super attentive right now. You know, why don't you pray louder? And, and the prophets of Baal spend another couple hours and of course nothing comes of it because Baal's not there. Um, as we look at... Um, as we look at uh, Psalm 121, where it's saying in um, verses three and four, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I believe this is a reference to that, that quick excuse for the false God not showing up, not, not giving what we need. But we know that our God is not like that. We know that he will not sleep. He will not slumber. Once again, though, we are subject to that temptation. Uh, wealth, job security, healthcare, confidence can all be blessings, but if we rely on them rather than relying on our great God, we're falling into the same trap of looking to the hills rather than looking to God. And these things will fail us, just like the false gods would fail the people of Israel. So as we look at our economy, we've been in a bad spot for a number of years. It's tempting for me to demand a wake-up call. And depending on your view of the role of government and the way economies work, the wake-up call might be to the federal government, go do something to fix our economy. Or it may be, let's get the federal government out of the way so the markets can fix our economy. Well, to be honest, I don't know what we need to fix our economy. I, I don't know the way to save our economy. But what I do know is what I need to save me, or better yet, who I need to save me. 
and who you need to save you as well. The one true Savior is really the, the central point of Psalm 121. Our Lord saves us now, verses 2 and 3. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. And then verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. We, uh, I, I love prayers for traveling mercy. You know, when, when people ask for them, I'm happy to give them, ask for them myself. But there's an irony here that we, we somehow think we only need traveling mercies when we actually fire up the old van and, and you know, head across the country. We actually need traveling mercies all the time. We need them continuously through our life, through the, the journey that we have. And yet we know that the protection we have is real and it's present. At the same time, we know from our lives that bad things happen. Christians sprain their ankles, break their ankles, and worse. We have illness, we have emotional duress, we have true pain and suffering and setback in, in our travels. Psalm 121 is not promising permanent earthly health, wealth, and happiness. No, it's promising much more. Verses seven and eight say, the Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We have an assurance here of making it to the end of our journey. For the sixth century pilgrim, they may have seen that as making it to Jerusalem for the festival but we can see that the promise is that we will make it to the end of the calling that God has for us, that we will be kept safe, that everything, all the goings out and the coming in, comings in will be, um, will be in God's providence, will lead us to the place that God has for us. David Brainerd was a, a missionary to the Satanic and Delaware tribes from 1743 to 1746. And um, Jonathan Edwards in his book, The Life and Diary of David Brainerd, uh, quotes Brainerd as, as saying the following about his, his travel as he uh, fulfilled his calling to, to be a missionary. Brainerd said, my circumstances are such that I have no comfort of any kind but what I have in God. I live in the most lonesome wilderness, have but one single person to converse with that can speak English. Most of the talk I hear is either Highland Scotch or Indian. I have no fellow Christian to whom I might unbosom myself or lay open conversation about heavenly things and join in social prayer. I live poorly with regard to the comforts of life. My diet consists of boiled corn, hasty pudding, etc. I lodge on a bundle of straw. My labor is hard and extremely difficult, and I have little appearance of success to comfort me. According to Jeremy Lance, in 1744, Brainerd was given a chance to leave the wilderness 
and become the pastor of a church in East Hampton, Long Island. And I think East Hampton today may be even nicer than it was then, but it was a much nicer place than where Brainerd was. Um, by this time, however, his devotion as a minister to the Native Americans was such that he refused the calling to go to East Hampton and stayed in the wilderness. Brainerd died at the age of 29 from tuberculosis in the house of Jonathan Edwards. Brainerd's devotion to missions continues to inspire missionaries around the world. So what's going on with Brainerd? Did Psalm 121 work for him? Absolutely. I believe what Brainerd was living out is what we see in Romans 8, starting with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What Paul's saying here in Romans is that we have to assume we're gonna face trials. Persecution, famine, nakedness. David Brainerd faced loneliness and disappointment. He slept on straw while suffering from tuberculosis. Our family had the lesser trials of chicken pox and a flat tire in the Arizona desert. But Paul's confidence is not in avoiding trials. It's not in avoiding the difficulties of the, the, the trip we're on, but rather his confidence was that the Lord will use these trials to refine and reveal our character. In Romans 8, 37, Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The promise we have in Romans and Psalm 121 is that we will finish our ascent on the trip to the new Jerusalem. We will worship in the heavenly temple of our God. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's the Savior we have. He gives us real salvation in the face of the stresses of our trip. Now, we have a role in this too. We don't just sit back. We, we don't have a cruise control for our life. We can't just buckle our seat on the airliner and, and someone else will get us there. We need to have a strategy for our trip as well. And our strategy is, in many ways, not all that complex, but it is very difficult. And the strategy is twofold, I believe. We need to trust and we need to obey. Verse seven says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. We need to avoid the false gods that reside in the hills along the way. For us, that may be money, our own competence, our own good works, the relationships we have, whatever it is. 
We can't trust in those things. We can see them as a blessing, but we have to see that our help comes from the Lord who created the heavens and the earth and all those other things that we might be tempted to trust in. That's really, I think, the central message of Psalm 121 is to trust the Lord. But the second application is to obey. And that's not featured as prominently in Psalm 121 because this is a psalm for pilgrims already on the journey that they've been called to do. They're already traveling to Jerusalem for the Holy Festival. For us, though, we need to pay attention to this idea of of obedience. We need to go on the journey that we've been called to. Just like the pilgrims of 600 BC traveling to Jerusalem to worship, just like David Brainerd went to the Delaware, we need to pursue our specific calling with great vigor. And let me clarify, we all share a general calling. We're all called to trust Jesus, to, to, to depend on him, to um, wash us from our sins, to obey the revelation of God in our lives. So we're all, we're all called to do that. We share that general calling. But each of us has a specific calling as well. I am called to different places, people, tasks, and times than you are. Good thing, otherwise it'd get real crowded. We'd all show up together, be like a flash mob. Um, but but that's, not, that's not the way specific calling works. You're called to people, places, and things that God has specifically set aside for you. Um, Render Keynes, our pastor in Tennessee, used to talk about living a life of grateful obedience. Or as Paul says, um, uh, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 puts this very well. Um, The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's what the life of grateful obedience looks like, setting aside all those encumbrances, all the sins that stick to us, and instead focusing on Jesus and running the race, taking the trip with with vigor, uh, living a life of grateful obedience. So what can we take away from Psalm 121? Imagine this afternoon, you had a a, a close friend or family member who said to you, I need you to drive to Seattle. For whatever reason, you can't hop on a plane, that's not gonna work, I need you to drive here, I need you to be here Thursday morning. Okay, hearing that, I could say to you, hey, I've made that cross-country circuit total of three and a half times, let's sit down. I could spend an hour with you listing off all the things to watch out for. There's this traffic snarl that tends to pop up in St. Louis. There's this 100-mile stretch of interstate in Wyoming where there's no gas station or, or hospital, and we've come through there with you know, less than a quarter tank of gas, and we came through in the other direction once with a son who had stomach pains that we thought was appendicitis. So be careful of that section, and definitely, definitely, before you hit Arizona, check the air pressure in your tires. Okay, so I could sit with you for an hour, and the best outcome of that would be that I bore you with tedious, 
detail of my own life. The worst outcome would be that I increase your anxiety. I list off all these pitfalls and pratfalls that you haven't even thought of, and now you're really worried about this trip to Seattle. Well, imagine, if you will, in our calling that God would send us the message, maybe by text, saying, here's the plan I have for you the next, for the next few decades. If he had done that to me when I was a college freshman, when I was 18 and I gave my life to him, the text would have actually exceeded the limits that Verizon allows, but it would have said something like this. Okay, Alan, for the next few decades, here's what I got laid out. First of all, you're gonna drop your Navy ROTC scholarship, you're gonna drop out of engineering and go into psychology, you're going to get married, you're gonna earn a graduate degree, you're gonna be a professor, you're gonna have eight sons, you're going to stop being a professor, you're going to become a professor, and it's like, stop God, wait, hold on here. I'm gonna get married? Eight sons, does anyone do that today? I mean, what, what's, what's up with this? And I would have been stressed beyond belief, okay? Well, if you're traveling to Seattle, if I had the capacity, I'd say to you, I need to have a phone call, I need to check in with my wife, but I'll go with you. And then as we're coming up on the traffic snarl, in St. Louis. At that point, I'll say to you, you know what, you may want to take the beltway here. As we're hitting that stretch in Wyoming, I'll say, hey, we ought to fill up here. Anybody have any stomach pain? You know. <laughs> and definitely, before you get to Arizona, I'd say, let's check the air pressure. <laughs> That's what God promises us. He promises to be our real and present help as we travel down the life that he has called us to. He goes with us. He does not give us an itinerary and say, see you in heaven in a few decades. He goes with us. And then if we make the wrong turn, we don't need the GPS voice saying recalculating. We have our God who will get us back on the path and go with us. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Thanks be to God.